calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier, to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it's Malls. Actually, it's not Malls. It's Christina, your producer extraordinaire, occasional monotone chimer in, and very powerful Latina. Did you buy that? Okay. This week, we're doing something a little bit different on the feed. Way back in February, when we released our DC Women's March episode with Tape Malls Collected, she mentioned you'd be hearing stuff from the LA Women's March that I attended. And now it's May. Look, I'm going to be completely honest here. It took me a while to know how I was going to put this tape together. And I got into my head about it. And when that happens, usually nothing happens. But this time I was really dedicated. I wanted to put this out. Going into this project, I didn't really know how we were going to assemble all of the tape that we got from both of our marches. And when I heard Molly's raw audio, I realized she had more of a narrative throughout the day that deserved its own episode. You should go back to listen to that if you haven't already. For me, though, I imagined it more like a collage of voices. But as I was listening back and I talked to more and more women of color about their experiences, there were more questions I had about inclusivity and intersectionality that the march raised and I didn't get to address while collecting tape. And I didn't feel like I'd be doing a good job unless I painted the whole picture. So that's when I called up one of our listeners to talk about it. I hope you enjoyed listening to this. And if something really resonates with you or strikes you the wrong way, please hit us up on the hotline 323-450-7408 or drop us a voice note or email at askpleaseadvise at gmail.com. Full disclosure, this is something new and I'm excited to try it and I hope you enjoy it. and why are you here today? Debbie Burroughs. I'm from Long Beach, California, and I'm here because I just so disagree with all of Donald Trump's... Every word that he says makes me sad, and it's misogynistic, and it's racist, and I just want to express my love for everybody. I think everybody needs a chance to be with whoever they want, vote for whoever they want, and do whatever they want, so... Anne Lippincott. I'm from Santa Barbara, California. I'm here because my grandmothers were born into a United States of America 
when women could not vote, and I'm here to celebrate all the privileges and rights that I was born into that I don't want to lose. 30 years ago, my family marched in D.C., and we can't believe we're here 30 years later doing this again. We, in that march, we had four generations. Our mother, who can't be here today, is 95, and she's with us in spirit. And I'm from Seattle. Terry. Angela Shaw, and I'm from Sherman Oaks. And I'm here basically because the election really got to my family and my son and my husband, and we just really wanted to do something and make a move and show solidarity amongst women and people and everybody. Why did you bring your son here well, because he was raised a certain way, and he was raised to be able to speak for himself and to be able to act and think, and that seems to be changing in the future. And so I want him to understand that he has to stand up, he has to speak, and he has to fight for what he believes in. My name is Diane Rankin. I'm from Pasadena. And why I'm marching today is I just think we have so much to say. If you look at all the different signs, there's there's so many meanings to what's going on right now. And I just needed to make sure my voice was heard as well and my presence seen. My name is Robin Chavez, and I'm from Sherman Oaks area. And it's important for me to be here today with my little girl to show her a good example and what women's rights really means. And this is my daughter, and I'm just so proud that we have three generations yeah. here and this of doing my, what's right. And this is my sister-in-law here with her three daughters and my husband and his sister and her girlfriend. So, it big it's event. Really, it's really important to us. I'm Kylie Gaines. Uh, I'm from Bakersfield, California, but I live in Los Angeles. And I'm here to support all things good. I'm Hannah Lopate, and I'm from Detroit originally, but I live in L.A. And, yeah, I'm here to support what we all are standing for, which is women's rights and everyone's rights. Uh, my name's Thomas. I'm from Los Angeles. Uh, and I'm here because I support women. I'm here because I'm here for my mom, for my sisters, for my nieces, uh, for women of color, for trans women. That's, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to be an ally, here to listen, here to support, all those things. My name is MP. Um, I'm from San Diego, but I live here in L.A. for the past seven years. And um, I'm here because I have a mom, I have two older sisters, and I'm also a gay man of color. And I feel that as an adult, I've, I've realized that um, accepting who you are is a really big part of growing. And we've all experienced discrimination in one way or another. And this is such a great way, a positive way to unite in such a trying time, in such a scary time. Um, so I'm here to stand in solidarity with women and just be with my friends and other like-minded people. Deanna Placencia from Los Angeles. I am here for my mom. I'm here for my wife. I'm here for my goddaughter. I'm here for all the women here marching, protecting our rights, marching for our rights. I'm Mexican. I'm a woman. I'm gay. So those are three strikes in Donald Trump's mind. Um, I mean, the amount of people that he doesn't represent or stand up for or care for and talks badly about them is, I, I mean, I, I've lost track. The disabled, <laughs> uh, Muslims, pretty much anybody of color. If you're not a white male, then you're um, not somebody that he cares for, and that's not okay. My name is Mona. I'm from Los Angeles, but originally I'm from Iran. I immigrated to the U.S. when I was four years old. So I am here to march for 
all of the women in my life and all of the Muslims who are afraid that they're going to have to be on a registry and all of my Mexican friends who are afraid of a wall being built. I'm here for common decency and dignity and to fight against Trump. I think that united as women, um, we're the one force that could stop him and stop his administration. And I hope that after the march, we'll continue to rise up and continue efforts like this so that he knows that he is on watch and we won't stand for his policies. My name's Megan Maloney. I'm from Los Angeles, and I'm here today mostly to protect our right to choose. That's my personal issue, and I just want our president to recognize that uh, we're going to fight and we're going to keep up the fight to protect our rights. Um, My name's Hannah, and I'm from Los Angeles, and I'm here just to empower myself and to raise up others that are here and other women um, and make like a, a big noise. I'm really excited. I'm Macy. Um, I'm from Altina as well. Um, I'm here just to support the people that have put, been put down so much. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten as a woman? The best piece of advice I've ever gotten as a woman, woman is just respect yourself and respect others and everything else will just kind of fall into place. Is there no barriers? I think I was brought up with that. My mother was a working woman. She was a teacher. I think we brought up you with seeing that I'm a working woman and that yes. that, that you have a, a place for fulfill yourself and, and things to give to this world. Yeah. So I would say that's the most important advice. And, and she will be raised with that same advice. <laughs> How about you? Um, my mom raised me the same way, is that I could do anything regardless of my gender or like right. my, my color or anything like that because that's not how she was. That's not how she was raised, and she she wanted me to have every opportunity that she did it. Oh God, <laughs> that's a tough one. Um, I would say that probably the best piece of advice was just to be true to myself always, and and that will by being true to myself, um, I will do the right thing. I think honestly talking to each other, I think there's a lot of things that we all keep secret and once, now that it's gotten out, we all know that it's happening to all of us and we know to stand up against it. Can you tell me the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Um, to, uh, I'd probably say to learn how to give a, learn to give a fuck about the things that you need to give a fuck about and to stop giving a fuck about the shit that you don't need to. And 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 that and that was said to me exactly that way uh, when I was probably like 19, and that has evolved in its meaning to me. I think it's one of those things that uh, it's really it's really important that that we all understand that uh, the the way in which like society works, the way in which. Uh, Culture has placed women beneath uh, so many people. The way that they have marginalized women uh, against men and pitted them against each other, that we have to we have to break down those kind of barriers and those walls and those norms that kept that have kept women in the places uh, on the on the sidelines of society. And that needs to change. And and then part of that is is saying like, I'm not for this shit. Like don't give a fuck about it. I'm not for it. But the things that you need to. The reason why we're all here is because we do give a fuck. Because we give a fuck about. Uh, women's uh, reproductive rights, about their their access to healthcare, about uh, uh, pay equality, about uh, all these things that um, that are it, it's it's ridiculous that we still have to fight for. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's probably the best advice I've gotten. Respect yourself. 
And it's the best piece of advice because it's probably the hardest thing to do, I think, as a woman, as a woman of color, um, any woman from any walk of life. We're not taught that to respect ourselves. And that's, I think, the core of so many problems that we have within ourselves and globally. So, yeah, it's the best. Hmm. <laughs> I think this is kind of just for everyone in general, but to never be afraid and just be yourself and do your own thing. Uh, what advice would you have for the women of the next generation? Oh my God, stay woke. <laughs> um, keep reading. Read as much as you possibly can. Go back as far as you can. Keep reading, keep creating, keep writing, keep marking your place and leaving an impact and keep speaking. Talk, be loud, take up space, but educate yourself so you can educate those around you. Never lay down, never sleep, just always be fighting because where we are now is because we got really comfortable with being able to do what we want to do and we kind of sat on our butts and now it's time to just really fight and know that nothing's forever unless we fight for it. Be kind. You, you don't get any place without being kind and stand up for yourself. And if you can do it being kind, do it. Be true to yourself and don't be afraid to speak your voice. Follow your heart. I, I think more to, to love each other and not hate each other. If we're supportive of each other and not, you know, hating what someone else has, then um, we're going to be stronger together. It, it's all about support and, and not tearing each other down, bringing each other up. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> and we support each other. Support each other. That makes sense. There's room for everyone to succeed. And when you when your friends succeed, it only is good for you. Um, or do you have a, a young woman in your life that you, I you know? For me, like, I, for, like, my nieces, for example, um, uh, two beautiful, beautiful black girls. Uh, and I, it's one of those things that I, I do worry for them. It, it's so difficult being a woman of color in this country. Uh and I think for me, it's something, it's something else because, uh, you know, I want them to make sure that they understand that they can do anything and they can be anything and like really, really, really get that. I think we always grow up being told that we can do anything, but the world tells us no repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly and breaks us down. Uh, and I want, I want them to know that despite all of the things that, that might tell us no and all of the... The, the obstacles that might be placed in the way that they can achieve whatever they want to um, and like really understand that 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 is that that is theirs to take um, well my I had my goddaughter come down here I she came down with my mom from Clovis California to be part of this and my aunt um, because it was important to them and that's something that it was important for me that they brought her because I want her to see this I want her to see what's going on and and be a part of it so she never has to stand up for something like this again. Be strong, stand up for others, and always look towards the future with hope. For the next generation of women, I just really think educate yourself as much as you can, read as much as you can, come to your own conclusions, don't let other people tell you what to do, what to say, what to believe. Um, just educate yourself. That's the best way you can empower yourself. The fight is not over. It is never going to be over. And um, in the 60s, there was uh, women taking to the streets. And I think we all got a little too comfortable. <laughs> and we've realized that we've, we've taken some steps back. And we have to keep working.
Don't stay silent. I think it's a mistake that a lot of women my generation made. Our moms fought for the right in Roe v. Wade in the 70s, and women who were in their 30s and 40s thought it was a given right now. Turns out maybe not. So for young women, you got to speak up and stay active. To make your voice heard, make sure you stand up for right, make sure you get a good education. That's one of the things we value um, because without the education, I mean, that's one of the big divides we're seeing here are people who understand and read and, and think, think through issues, and education has a lot to do with that. And I would say, too, it's important for her to surround herself with uh, good women role models. Um, I grew up with good women role models, and it's important for me to be that to her as well. Where are you from, and why are you here today? Um, my name is Caitlin Cross. I'm from New York City originally. Um, I'm cool. Um, I'm here for many reasons. I would say, like, the main thrust of it is um, I'm a nanny, uh, and I had to work today, and I happened to work for a black family. I'm white. I'm Caucasian, um, and I I really thought it was kind of important to sh show up and say to this little two-year-old girl that look at all of these women and the people that support them um, and and what beautiful love they can bring to the world like what power do we have within us because as far as I'm concerned she's the next she's she, she'll be president she's a genius <laughs> talking about you um, so yeah I wanted I for many reasons I also wanted to feel better because I haven't been feeling really well about it anything the lot <laughs> what advice would you give to the next generation of women over here um Just be informed. I look at my grandmother who ignored World War II. She's like, I didn't know it was happening. And I look at my mom. She was arrested at Columbia University for the protests of Vietnam. Just, the, I feel like with every generation, we're getting more informed and more connected. And, that, and you know, that's really important because it's super easy to look at your Facebook feed and decide how you feel because that's how your friends feel. Or, the, or your generation feels. Like, actually having information is the most power we could have. So, after listening to some of the tape from my march, you can hear kind of tiny little nuggets of ideas about being a woman and also being a person of color attending this march. But I wanted to have a longer discussion about this and I needed someone to talk to. And luckily for me, I have been in touch with a listener named Aja, who is also a writer. I give her credentials at the top of the call. But up first, we talk about how we actually got in touch, which wouldn't have happened without social media. Hello, Aja. How's it going? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm actually uh, dog sitting wags this weekend, so I'm in the oh, in the please advise he, studio technically right now. Is he behaving? Yes, he is. He is. He's he's I, good. Yeah, he's a okay. good guy now. I think age has settled him well. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yes. Um. So the reason why I wanted to have you on the show today is because you actually attended the Women's March in D.C. and you wrote about it and you wrote about a different perspective of the march um, 
that we've kind of touched upon on the show, but we haven't really gone deep with someone. And I think your your piece was really well um, well written, and you your your reasons were very very clear. Um, and so we I want to dive into that, but first I want to talk about how we kind of got in touch in the first place. And it was actually you. Um, I want to say criticism is too harsh of a word, but you. Um, you reached out to me because you disagreed with something that I said uh, after the election happened. And I think we actually had a really, really helpful conversation. You helped me see a different perspective or maybe reinforce like a deep feeling I had. Maybe I was trying to be too. Um, I was trying to see the other side a little bit too much and giving them, I think, a little bit too much leeway. Um, and that's something that I've seen happen so much in the U.S., but the actions that we've seen from this administration um, very much flow along a dialogue that, that goes hand in hand with fascism. And one of the things that we're, we're figuring out is that, like, you can't really reason with fascism. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel like when I see people that I like and respect saying, like, you know, let's let's see the other side, there's a part of me that just immediately you know, has to say, like, listen, the other side doesn't, you know, doesn't want to believe that, like, minorities and and marginalized people are hurting for a reason. They won't see our narrative because to them, we don't really exist. You know, like any person that can that can say to a, a black person that Tamir Rice's death was justified is someone that I am not interested in in coming to a middle ground with, because there is no middle ground there. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the middle ground is you're either okay with 12-year-olds being murdered at the hands of law enforcement, or you're not. There, there, there's no middle ground. You're either, you know, let's fix this problem, or you don't care. And so for me, like, there's just a narrative where I'm not in a place where I think that it's healthy or reasonable to, to um, see a middle ground with it. It's just, it's it's not... It's not something that I'm interested in. I don't think that it's healthy for our nation. So, yes, <laughs> um, yeah, it's really interesting to see how long we've. I've. It's only been four months, and it feels like longer. Um, yeah, every day feels like a decade. You're yeah. just like, oh, what happened today? So, I want to talk a little bit about your background. Um, can you tell us what you've been doing? I know you're a writer for Ravishly, but um, what else have you been doing? Yeah. I write for Ravishly and I write for the establishment, but I started my, my original career path was in television and production, but it's never really been my true calling. It's kind of something that I was very, very fortunate to fall into. But for me, writing has always been something that I've sort of put on the back burner. And also as a woman of color in America, there was always sort of a, a there was always something that sort of kept me from going for it because I recognized and other people recognize this too, that there hasn't always been a place for voices like mine Mm. in our media. Yes. And now it seems like people are actually starting to say, Oh my goodness, this is a problem. We need to fix this. And so right now, if you are a woman of color and you have something to say, say it because you know, there's, we're at a point where our media is recognizing that there is an issue there. And so now I just felt like I had to speak up. Like it wasn't to a point where I felt like I could sit back anymore and be quiet. And that's 
there's there's so much change that's been going on just in general, not just politically, but like technology. And so I just came to a point where I couldn't not write anymore. Yeah, I'm only now just starting to get in sense of like agency for myself. Um, and like not to appease people in a way that like I put their comfort over my own, um, which is something that I've done a lot in the past. And I'm trying not to do that anymore. But I also I'm not trying to be like coming in at a 10 when I should be coming in at a five. You know what I mean? Well, you also have to recognize and we spoke about this on Twitter. There was a time period where we could get fired for our jobs for like speaking out about racism. You know, there's still a very, very gray area where companies can, you know, say that like, oh, well, you know, your politics don't agree with our company policy or some nonsense like that. So there was a time period where I think because we are carving voices for ourselves and getting more agency, we are feeling less afraid to speak out and be open. And I think that because our society is changing in general, it's becoming a lot harder for companies to give people the shaft for having a personal blog or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. there was just a lot of, there was a lot of stuff that was okay in our society. That's no longer okay. And that's making it easier for people like you and me to actually develop a voice and to have discussions that are difficult without feeling like we're going to face a lot of repercussions for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really important. I think it's um, important how you approach the situation as well. You know, sometimes there are things that open itself up to discourse and having a discussion. There's so much value in learning that. And some stuff can get lost in the translation of like social media. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I do a daily Facebook live video and I speak about race in my writing. I speak about race on Facebook And when I started to do the live videos, I had people coming to me and saying, you know, it's weird because sometimes when you write things on Facebook, you come across as mean, which honestly, that kind of annoys me because I'm kind of like, (laughs) look at you prioritizing your comfort. But I feel like I also think that's like something that it says a lot about what what they're projecting onto you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily like the way you're writing. I think it's also a lot of what they're projecting onto you. Right. And I'm kind of like, well, what do you think of me? (laughs) Yeah. No, there's a lot of unchecked like guilt there. Since I started speaking about race, I've definitely lost some quote unquote friends and I'm totally okay with it. Like to me, that was dead weight. But there's been a lot of people that have come to me and said, you know, sometimes when you write, like your writing comes across as harsh. But then when I see you discussing it in video, it comes across as softer, which I don't really want to be softer in video. But if somebody is actually understanding something that I'm speaking about and it's making them think that I'm cool with that, like I'm happy that Facebook Live has given me a platform where people are actually able to like comprehend and maybe not get so defensive, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing what kind of publishing platforms that have empowered so many marginalized voices um, that we normally wouldn't ha- hear from because they were put through the filter of um, the mainstream lens, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's just like, there's, I, I get so excited. Like I was listening to the rookie podcast, like before you call <laughs> and like, it just makes me so happy that there's like platforms now for like women and teenagers and marginalized women, because the more we talk about this stuff, the better it's going to get. 
And people that are racist love to say like, oh, well, the reason why racism still exists is you won't stop talking about it. When has not talking about something helped anyone? Right. Like whether we're talking about sexual assault or mental health, you know, PTSD, like not talking about shit has gotten our society in a ton of trouble. It's like a repressed family. (laughs) Oh, God, yes. So the fact that we actually have platforms and places in our media that are now starting to like give women a little bit of space and marginalized women, that's a wonderful thing. That's really awesome, Aja. I love your like outlook on this. Uh, yeah, you know, I people read articles about races. They're like, oh, it's so negative. I'm like, but it doesn't have to be. Like, you just have to really like wade in and like, you know, try and put your feelings aside because there's a lot of like white wine that goes on sometimes in conversations about race. And so you have to like definitely embrace that discomfort and sort of realize that like not everything is about you. Like I've heard people say to me like, oh, when you say white people, it hurts my feelings. And I'm just like, number one, I'm like, grow up. Number two, I'm like, stop internalizing it. Like, yeah, we're not talking about you specifically. Exactly. And you have to realize that you are a part of like a majority that has had a very like, you know, I wouldn't say easy because individually people as individuals go through their stuff. But as a white person, you still have significantly more privilege than a lot of people. And the sooner you embrace that, the sooner you can start to become a better ally and start to like, you know, help people that are marginalized in real ways. What kind of suggestions would you have for someone who wanted to do something like that? Oh goodness. Okay. So, I have, I think I have like four very specific suggestions. So number one, listen, 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 listen to people of color. Don't listen to respond. Don't get defensive. Really listen, listen to understand and don't discredit experiences of marginalized people because what they're telling you makes you feel uncomfortable. Like you have to, Mm. you have to get ready to embrace that discomfort because like, I know that racism upsets you but like try living it. It's really upsetting. You know, so I need people to be able to listen to marginalized people and to take off their invisible knapsack, put it on the ground and actually listen without getting upset and defensive. And two, talk to other white people about racism. I get tons of people, white friends, well-meaning that will like want to talk to me about racism. And like, I get it because I'm living it. But white people need to hear you say this because white people are very good at listening to other white people, sometimes more than people of color. And it sucks. But like, that's something that you can do as an ally. And when you really think about it, like people of color voted for the Democratic candidate in the last election, despite the fact that she wasn't perfect, we overwhelmingly showed up for that candidate. But you know who didn't show up for that candidate? 53 percent of white women. And I saw so many conversations with like white people talking to minorities about like the minority vote, but really like white people needed to talk to other white people because white people elected Donald Trump. And, you know, if more well-meaning white people had really like gotten in the mud and talked to like, you know, some ignorant white people about racism, maybe we wouldn't be in this gigantic mess that we're in right now. You know, because at the end of the day, Donald Trump could not get elected without the white vote. Yes. 
Well, there was oh, also sorry, that what whole. Were you gonna say? I was going to say. Well, also there was that whole discussion of you know people saying over the holidays uh, after the election happened or before a year before they were le- the election that they weren't going to go home because they had um, family members whose politics they didn't agree with, whether it was their parents or uncle, and like to really show them they weren't going to show up for Thanksgiving. But I think it's more helpful if you actually go and challenge them, as unpleasant as it might be. Now, if it's not at the cost of your mental health. Don't do it. But, you know, yeah. if you feel like you're sound and you can stand up for what you believe in, you have to have those really tough conversations, even if you don't I think it's totally going to go anywhere. Agree. There's, there's two trains of thoughts about this for me. Like, one, I think that that's actually awesome. Like, you know, if you think that they're going to really, really mess up your holiday, it might be good for them to feel the weight of your absence. I think that that's actually kind of cool. But at the end of the day, you can't completely ignore what's happening and shut down. And you have to pick your battles. There are certain people where you're not going to convince them because they've spent their entire life right. being racist. And the, the idea of them changing, it's probably not going to happen. So you might be wasting your breath. And if that's your racist old uncle, then, like, cut them off. Like, life is too short to spend time with shitty people. There are 8 billion people on this planet. And, like, <laughs> out of that 8 billion people, there might be, like, 8,000 people that are your soulmates and you're not even getting to meet like half of them. So to me, you have to sort of figure out like maybe you have a friend that's in the middle of the ground and says like, oh, I'm a centerist and I don't like Hitler and this and that. That's the person that I would say talk to. You know, maybe you have a friend who has all Republican family members, all conservative family members, racist family, but they've always said, oh, you know, I, 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 I vote like them, but I don't, I don't agree with them on everything. That's the person to talk to. But, you know, there are certain people where you're not going to win them over. And if that means that like, you don't want to hang out with them at Christmas, then I'm all for that, but still do the work that you have to do, you know, talk to other people, but like, maybe you aren't going to convince your racist uncle and that's okay. You can't, you can't win every fight, you know, but know where you can make a difference. Um, I have two other points. And yes. I promise I'll, I'll <laughs> no, no, I was going to get back three, to them. Go for it. Oh, th- three points. Uh, number three, read books and essays by marginalized women, women of color. Roxanne Gay, Ijeoma Aluo is having a book that's coming out. And so definitely get that. Feminista Jones is so brilliant. So if you can like read authors that aren't like you, you will get to understand and walk in their shoes and it might make it just a little bit easier to understand where they're coming from. So reading voices of color is so important. And then like number four, I was just going to say, like I do this like daily online video on, on my Facebook and I put them up for public and it's a good dose of like race and politics and feminism and occasionally fashion because you can't talk about the heavy stuff all the time. (laughs) And so if you find like a resource, like tap into that because I make these videos and it's like a full-time job, even though I Mm -hmm. don't actually like get paid for it. But I started doing that right before the election because it felt like every person that I knew of felt very, very scared. And so I started making these videos to say, listen, you're not alone and this is what you can do. And so tap into those resources, start to listen to like more podcasts, expand your list, expand your brain. Don't just tune out, like definitely pick up as many resources as you can by marginalized people. And little by little, 
you might not get it immediately, but you'll start to get it. Yeah, I would even encourage so people to check out podcasts that are hosted by people who have marginalized voices. Just Absolutely. I think having them in your ear creates so much more of an intimate connection and totally. helps you understand the perspective a little bit more. If you can hear the timbre in their voice or their pain in the voice in their voice when they're talking about something. Um, yeah, it's so beautiful. Like Code Switch is a really w- good one that I absolutely love. Um, yeah, I like, I love call your girlfriend as yes. well. I just started listening to another podcast and I can't remember. I know that there's one with, um, with, uh, W Kamal Bell and Hari. Yes. Um, yeah, their, their podcast is great. I enjoy that. I love that they like stop during the middle of the podcast and then they'll like explain something. That's so cool. So yeah, like listen to marginalized people speak about their experiences. I cannot recommend that enough. Another one I would recommend oh. is oh go go for it. So many white guys. Phoebe Robinson's podcast so good. It's so Have good. You to that one. Yes. Yeah. I love two that dope one. Queens. Yes. I love two dope queens because <laughs> it's funny, but every now and then it'll be just a little bit political, and it's just like that's such a good way to like bring people into the fold that might be standing just a little bit on the outskirts, and then like you know you get them laughing, and then they're just so. <laughs> Phoebe Robinson and Jessica Williams, they're so brilliant, they're, both of them. They're so dope. Uh, they really are. They're very dope. <laughs> Another one I'm going to recommend is called Nancy. Um, it just recently came out, and it's hosted by two Asian people who are part of the LGBT community. It's all about featuring LGBT voices. And they've done such a good sho- job at like highlighting, highlighting really personal stories. I mean, I almost cried at like this first episode. It was so good. And you just hear their experiences. I haven't heard it represented in other mediums before. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I actually have heard the ads for it. So I've been meaning to dive into that. And um, there's, there's so many podcasts. I'm like another round. running out of. Oh, my goodness. The yes, read. Another round. Is, I just started listening to another round. Um, and yes, the read is very good. Like there's so many, it's funny because I don't actually watch a lot of TV and my boyfriend's always like, oh, you should watch this. You should watch that. And I'm like, honey, I have so many podcasts. I've literally, because my backlog is so long, I've literally just gone on long drives just so I can listen to podcasts. I'm wasting so much gas. It's ridiculous. Every summer I drive down to Alabama to see my mom's relatives and it's like an 18 hour trip and man, I get some podcasts in. You need a good audio. Yeah, I just started listening to another round. I love it. It's so good. All right. So I wanted to also talk to you about your Women's March experience. You went to the one in D.C. Um, Can you just talk about your overall experience for a little bit and what you thought initially? Yeah. You know, I thought it was largely very positive, but also super ignorant, like at the same time. Like I, I enjoy when large groups of people get together And like, it was happy. Everybody was happy. It was really, really good experience. But on that same note, I heard so many people saying things like, oh, it was such a positive experience. There wasn't a single arrest that happened. And every time someone says that, I want to roll my eyes. Because here's the thing. I have been to a lot of protests. I have been to a lot of Black Lives Matter protests. Black Lives Matter protests are so peaceful. Everyone that I've been to in D.C. has been a peaceful act of solidarity. And you would not believe how different the police behave with us first 
hordes of white women and pink pussy hat cats. Like it is so different how they treat us. And it is so mind blowing to me. And to hear people say things like, oh, well, our march was so peaceful because there wasn't a single arrest tells me how little they know about how different marginalized people are treated by our, by our um, police system, you know? And yes. so there, there was a lot of like ignorant comments that kind of flew around. Like when I got off the Metro, this woman behind me was like, well, you know, this is just day one of our fight, isn't it? And I was just like, lady, like I didn't say it because I was with a bunch of like other white women that I know. And I didn't <laughs> want to be like the Debbie Downer, but I wanted to be like, that's eternally the struggle for you. Yes, it's day one for you. It is day 5,752 for so many of us. And, you know, maybe, just maybe, here's the thing. Intersectionality talks about all these intersections of, like, racism and feminism. And it's all about if you knock out one of these things, you will help to take down the other. So here's the thing. If all of these white women showed up for, like, black mothers who lose their children to police brutality, then maybe we wouldn't actually have to have this movement right now. But like to just jump in when you feel like your rights are now threatened is kind of a little shitty, you know, like you are not realizing that there is a lot of bad stuff happening to people who don't look like you. And you're thinking that it's just day one, but it's not, you know, it's day one for you. And that's great. Like, join the fight, but realize that like when you see black mothers who are, you know, trying to change something because their children's lives aren't as safe as your child, then you have to realize that like you've dropped the ball on that, you know? So that's, it was just a lot of like very cheerful white feminism and, you know, that's cool, but like, like be there for everyone else, like show up for marginalized women, show up for trans lives, you know, like, when trans people are murdered, we don't even hear about their death as much on the mainstream news as we should, you know? So like stand up for indigenous women, they disappear by such large numbers and nobody talks about it. And so I just want in general, I want white women to start showing up for everyone else because we show up for you. You know, if you're, if you're a true feminist, then you want to help all women. But the truth is a lot of feminism has, definitely exclude it from voices. And so we have to change that rhetoric if we're going to help everyone. And we all do better. We all do better. That's a Harvey Milk quote. And I love it. And it sounds like super like overly optimistic, but I truly believe it. We all do better and we all do better. And that means we have to help each other. Rising tide lifts all boats. Absolutely. <laughs> so before you went to the march, did you have any reservations? Because what I heard from a lot of my friends of color and I, what I saw in my Twitter stream, um, they felt like this kind of activis activism wasn't for them. And I, a lot of them didn't even attend. So what, and what reservations did you have, if any? And what ultimately led you to actually go to the march? Um, I think my reservations definitely, like, go back to what I was saying where like, it just seemed largely like, you know, white women were like, come on, get in here. Let's do this. Come on. All women. I was just like, wait a minute. Where the fuck were all women where black women were saying, you guys, we need your help. You know? So that was kind of it. And also there were like some truly problematic speakers who were on the billfold. Yes. Like 
Lost in Translation is one of my favorite movies, but I don't play feminism with actresses that do yellow face. And that's what Scarlett Johansson did in Ghost in the Shell. She took a part from a marginalized woman who should have been playing that role, and she proceeded to do it herself. So I'm sorry, I'm not going to sit back and play feminism with you when you're doing problematic actions that are help, that are hurting marginalized women. Like, you know, Amy Schumer, people feel, you know, things about her. And I get where the criticism comes from. Like, she does a lot of problematic stuff where, like, you know, E.G. Oma wrote this amazing essay about how, like, you know, Amy Schumer really plays up like the, oh, I'm the fat girl trope and this and that in a lot of comedy. But at the same time, when I think it was Glamour magazine classified her as a plus size woman, she was like, I'm not plus size. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, like I she's probably like me. Like I always say I kind of walk the fine line of plus size because like I'm like a size 12, you know, sometimes I I I fluster, I go up and down. But at the same time, like, you know, if you're going to make a lot of comedy about how, like, you're the fat girl and this and that, like, you have to, you know, like, it's the way she handled it, it almost seemed like she was, like, plus size is a bad thing, and it's not, you know? So uh, there were a lot of problematic speakers on the, and, oh, my goodness, it was so long because they had so many speakers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a lot. Like, I mean, we even mentioned this in, in Molly's tape. She's like, I've been standing here for three hours in the same spot. Nobody's moving. Oh my! And that was the problem with the L.A. March, cramping. too. It was that, like, we weren't moving for a solid hour. And, like, I'm not in my 20s anymore. Like, I, I, I can't stand up for very long. I think it's just like I also lead a very sedentary lifestyle in LA like I don't walk as much as when I lived in New York and but that's a whole nother aside from the conversation that was happening but yes no that's the same thing when I went to um my friend and I always joke we go to a concert now when the band's like we're gonna do an encore we're like nobody asked for that they just do encores now for no reason nobody was here nobody was asking for that we all want to go home we're in our 30s yeah, seriously. We're just like, oh my God, my back hurts. Let's leave. Let's leave. Okay, let's go. You know, so yeah. that is a complete change. But yeah, there were so many speakers and some of them didn't need to be headlining it. I mean, right. I was a material girl as much as any other girl that grew up in the 80s and 90s. But like Madonna's been kind of problematic these last few years. And so I had a lot of issues with the speakers. And in general, it just seemed like a lot of the march was like, peak white feminism you know and like oh it's make it about the science and the pussy hats and this and that really it needs to be about solidarity like there was a there was an audible hush in the audience when one of the speakers talked about ending white supremacy people were like woo woo let's end white supremacy uh Uh, don't make it it about race yeah 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 it's so like the the don't make it about race thing that i kind of get upset about a lot yeah oh yeah no me too and it's like everything's about race you know like but it is like everything is about race like yeah there's so much surrounding this election that was about race and xenophobia and so you can't have a march that's like anti this administration without addressing that you know you really can't so it was the travel ban the the wall yeah yeah the wall the travel ban just the xenophobia it's just it has been so rampant and so 
you really, really have to address these things. And I felt like whenever a speaker did, the audience was just kind of like, eh. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah. after your piece went up, you said that you got some criticism uh, on social media for what you wrote about the march. Can you tell me a little bit more about oh, that? Well, you know what? It was just on the Facebook page of Ravishly, who I write for. And it just seemed like people just flocked to it to be shitty there was there was a lot of like unrelated comments about race which really surprised me like there were some people who just didn't get a lot of the concepts and generally I don't read the comments there are sometimes we're like yes. I'm just like I'm not gonna read the comments about this but I wanted people to understand where I was coming from and there were actually a few commenters where I went back and forth with them and by the end the woman was like oh wow I didn't know that like Amy Schumer had done that. That is really not cool. I didn't know that, you know, so there's a lot of people that just kind of came out swinging because they felt like this Mm -hmm. march was for them and they didn't like that anyone was criticizing it. But when they talked to me, they were like, oh, okay, that's actually like, that's a very legit thing, you know, like I get that, you know. But then there were some people that just flocked to say all lives matter. And I was just like, yeah, miss me with that, you know, like, there are some people that are so dead set in their racism that like any sort of dissent or any piece that's written by a woman of color, they just come to be shitty. Like that's, that's really all too. And I've seen that on Twitter. Like anytime I've had something that's been like just a little bit viral, like my mentions are filled up with the most unrelated hate possible. Like you didn't read the piece. You just showed up to be like, to, to call me the n-word you well, know what i usually mean usually it's so, like they just read the headline yeah yes they just read the headline and they show up to like tell me like that i'm you know making racism worse you're the reason you're the real racist and it's just like yeah okay it's transparent that's the person that i'm not gonna get you know i'm just not gonna get through to that person you know they're not gonna get it until they have a mixed race grandchild and that grandchild tells them that they're afraid to walk down the street at night wearing a hoodie that's when they'll get it but they're not going to get it from me writing and it also infuriates them like how dare this lippy black woman have such a strong opinion about something like I definitely feel that so can you tell me about another time that people kind of critiqued you and like did you have a tactful conversation that ultimately ended with changing someone's mind in a positive way that might have started out intense, but eventually led to a really acrimonious ending or sorry, a Um, better ending. I can tell you when black lives matter started, I had a lot of friends, a lot, a lot of friends who did not get it. And these are people that I consider very good people, but they didn't get it. And now they get it and they find that time period really mortifying. Yeah. But, you know, I I had friends that said things like, well, you know, all lives matter. But then when I explained, you know, the reasoning behind it and that we were highlighting black lives because we have a police brutality problem, they got it. And now if I brought up, hey, remember when you said black lives matter, they would be absolutely mortified. So I don't bring it up because I don't like to embarrass people, and you know, but I had a lot of all lives matter friends and then they got it. I was, you know, here's a good example. Like for people that don't get black lives matter, you know, yes, all lives matter. We know that. But in the nineties, when people were saying, save the rainforest, did you show up and go all forests matter? Like, no, 
we realized the rainforest was in danger because of X, Y, and Z reasons. So we wanted to focus on that. You know, when you see a campaign, you know, to, to stop breast cancer, do you show up and say all cancers matter? Of course, all cancers matter, but we are focusing on this one cancer. And so there's two, there's two train of thoughts where some people just don't get it. And like, they're very like, you know, just used to like this idea of, you know, inclusiveness that doesn't actually include everyone. Mm. And then there are people that don't like when blackness is centered in the middle of something. There's, I've definitely seen that before where people are more turned off by the word black than anything else. And that's really shitty. That's like some real quiet racism, but I've seen it. Can you speak on that a little bit more? Um, hmm. I think I would have to really do some digging there because I didn't actually really think about preparing an answer for that. That's okay. I didn't okay. think that we did that happened, so We really went down the rabbit hole. <laughs> we really did. <laughs> and that's totally okay. Like talking off the cuff is really hard. And I wish more people there understood are, that. <laughs> there are a lot of people that just get really, really angry at the centering of blackness. But that's because they refuse to acknowledge that our society always centers whiteness. They don't believe it. You yeah. Know? And so... That's something that's always bothered me about the culture here. It's just, or rather in like entertainment, is that whiteness is kind of seen as a blank state on which you can project any sort of character. But once you cast a person of color, it's putting on a tone that like, oh, they're not right for the part because this is their identity is informing the character in a different way than like a white person would. Absolutely. So there's a lot of people that don't believe that white supremacy exists in our society, but then they don't quite understand why they get so mad when blackness is the center of a movement. And, you know, for people like that, once again, it's one of those things where some people won't be moved because their racism goes that deep. But there are other people where they might ask me that question and they might say, like, there's no such thing as white supremacy. And I say something as simple as, okay, well, you know, go into the grocery store, my local grocery store, go to the hair aisle, what do you see on the shampoo bottles mm-hmm. on the advertising for like shampoos? You see white faces and some grocery stores, depending on how progressive they are, might have a section for black hair products. That section is always so much smaller than the white hair product section. And it's always considered ethnic. As a matter of fact, in the eighties, my mom used to go to a grocery store where they would put the relaxers and lock and key. So they would keep the the black hair product behind the counter, implying that black people steal more, basically. So it's really, it's really like small, insidious things like that. that Well, microaggressions, yeah. Microaggressions, yes. That white people do not notice. And then they say, oh, well, there's no such thing as white supremacy. But what they don't understand is that you haven't been primed to look for it because your story has always been centered. And I said this to one of my very, very good friends just the other day. You know, I said, because he got very upset when during a Facebook conversation, I said, well, Matt, the reason why you don't get this is because you're a white male. And he was so upset with me. He messaged me. And I said to him, you have to realize that when somebody identifies you as a white male, that is not a knock to you, what I am acknowledging is the fact that you do not see certain things because your eye has not been primed to see these things, you know? And by the end of the conversation, he got it. I was like, but if someone identifies you as a white male, they're not 
knocking you, but they are acknowledging the fact that like you don't understand a concept like black girl joy because you have not realized that like the world does not center the happy stories of black women. Like that's just something that we don't see in the media. Like I was very happy to hear that that Serena Williams was pregnant. I was like, (laughs) that's really awesome. You know, because I do the thing where I just, I want to be happy so much for, for black women when we see success stories, when we see happy stories, when, when we share their joy, that's a radical thing. And that was what I explained to him, that black girl joy is radical. And the reason you don't get it is because you're a white male and you haven't been primed to realize that like the stories of your happiness are never really shared as much as the story of other people's happiness, you know? So he got that. Yeah, that also makes me think of stuff like I I often hear, and this is we're getting totally tangential now, but I think it's okay. Um, I often hear <laughs> things like um, the Breakfast Club is such a universal movie, like, but it's not. I I don't relate exactly. to anyone in the breakfast. Sorry, I can't say that. I don't relate to anyone in the Breakfast Club. Like, I never had that kind of high school experience. So when you look at movies like that, right. they're not necessarily universal. I'm not portrayed in right. the movie. And there's so many times where like a white person has said to me like, oh, if you don't think this is the best movie in the world, then you don't have any taste in films. And it's a very, very white movie. And it's just like, well, that's that's your opinion. You know what I mean? Like, and I enjoyed those 80s movies. I, 16 Candles still cracks me up. I know it's really problematic, yeah. but I still laugh <laughs> when I watch it because it's got some funny lines. But it's super problematic at the same time. Like the exchange student. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, or even like, yes. Or even like a, a very quote unquote classic movie, like breakfast. Yes. My, my dad loves Audrey Hepburn so much. We all love Audrey Hepburn. Like my family is an Audrey Hepburn family. However, when my dad showed us as children, breakfast at Tiffany's, my sisters, I have two sisters. We felt very, very uncomfortable with the Japanese neighbor. We thought that that was, yeah. Yes, Mickey Rooney playing an Asian man with, like, these big, goofy buck teeth. And, like, Miss Go Whitey, like, this dumb accent. It was just so clear to us that this was a very racist trope. However, when I would talk to, like, my white friends who also liked the movie, it didn't even cross their mind, you know, that, like, there's something that's really, really not pretty there, even though it's a beautiful film that's, like, so offensive. You know, and as a child, I was, like, Oh, the scene is making me so uncomfortable, you know, but like white children don't grow up looking at films like Breakfast at Tiffany's through the same lens that me and my sisters looked at that racist character. And the reason why is because they don't have to, because as a white person, you are never the butt of the joke for your ethnicity, for the way that you speak, for your hair, for your, you know, just your general demeanor, the way you look. White people are never the butt of the joke in that way. And so they don't have to, like, look at media through that lens. But as a Black child, I started pretty early critiquing media through that lens. Yeah, I mean, I even thought about that for something like West Side Story, where I'm pretty sure the only Latina in the cast was Rita Moreno. And even she was was put in brownface. So yes. I yes. mean like the ridiculousness of that and they told her like she needed I'm pretty sure she probably got a note that she wasn't being Puerto Rican enough. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Um Yeah, no, totally. So like, problematic I actually Yeah. 
I, I did theater as, as, as a high schooler. And part of the reason I was just generally turned off was because I felt like there were not enough roles for black people. And there were so many stereotypical roles for black people where it was like, yeah, can you do an accent? And when they say, can you do an accent, you know, which accent they're looking for, you know? So it was one of those things where like, even like my childhood, like dreams of like being an actor, I was just like, Ugh, no, never mind, Forget it. You know, <laughs> something as deep as that. Uh, so I kind of want to bring it back to the conversation about the women's march and this kind of social justice movement that's happening in the country. It's now almost the end of April. The Women's March happened at the end of January. I think since then we've seen um, other protests like the ones of people flocking in big groups to the airports to protest the travel ban that happened earlier this year. Um, the Science March that's actually happening today that we're recording when we're recording. Um, yeah. How do you feel about the sort of slow rolling tide of social justice change that's happening in the country. And what would you like to see in the future as well? Well, I have to say I have been very inspired. I went to Dallas airport uh, when the Muslim ban first happened. And I didn't even really know. I heard on social media that some people were going to be there, but I said, you know what, I'm just going to go and show up. And it gave me so much faith. Like it really, really restored just a little bit of what was like torn down. But I think there definitely has to be more because here's the thing. What Trump has been running all along is a shock and awe campaign where he does a bunch of horrible things all at once. And I can see that we're getting worn down. At least I know that I am. There becomes this point where like the first like, you know, month, Every day you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, sound the alarms. And now it's just like, oh, what's he done this time? You know, so I see myself losing energy. So we need more people. We need backups. We need to bring more people into the, the fold. And I do think that, once again, that responsibility does fall on white people in a lot of ways to keep having these conversations. Because, you know, as minorities, like, we can only do so much, but we need white allies to pick up a lot of the labor here. You know, I was listening to Roxanne Gay before you called me and she says, and I should have written it down as a black woman, she feels like often she is tasked with solving a problem that she did not, that she did not create. And I definitely feel that like racism negatively affects marginalized people but essentially, it's a white person's problem to fix. So I think, as I said before, more white people have to start talking to more white people about what's happening and why it's bad. I mean, there's like a comedian that I think is really funny called Trey Crowder, and he calls himself a liberal redneck. And he's super duper funny. And conversations like that are so important because he is someone that like, you know, they, he doesn't fit the quote unquote mold of like a typical liberal, but he is saying some real shit, you know, like, and at the same time, he hasn't lost his, I like to drink beer and like, you know, like, have barbecues in the back. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He's like, please don't kick me out of California. I just got here, man. But yeah, yeah you know, he's just, <laughs> there has to be more white people that are willing to have the difficult conversations. You know, I have a lot of friends that 
and I wouldn't say a lot, but a handful of my friends just kind of retreated. Like when Trump first won, I get that you, that you were shocked, but you don't get the luxury of ignoring racism anymore. Okay. It's down to the wire and it's down to the wire for a lot of things. Okay. When we think about climate change, if we don't start acting now, we are in for destruction of humanity in many ways. And so I think if you care about any of these things, then you have to be willing to have difficult conversations with people that might not agree with you. And I do feel like white people have not been doing enough of that. There's so much of, it's not my responsibility. You know, I didn't create this problem, but like, who's going to change it if you're not willing to, and I'm doing my part, believe me, I am writing up a storm and getting hate mail left and right. But you know, there has to be more white people doing the heavy lifting. And I feel like we're starting to see that, but people can't lose momentum. You know, like it's not always going to be like sexy, fun work, but it's work that needs to get done. Yeah. Stay woke is an expression like that for a reason. You know what I mean? It's a constant, it's a constant thing that you have to do. You constantly have to be reading. You constantly have to be up on the news and what you're, you're fighting against. It's not, it's a perpetual state of learning. Yeah. And also realize that, you know, through all of this, self-care is also radical. Like I always say to people like, okay, so you can't watch one news source 24 seven, but you can listen to a lot of podcasts. Like we said, and like, get out from behind your computer, get out and take a yoga class, get out. I dance ballet like three to four days a week. And so have like your outside stuff, like know when it's time to switch off, but realize that like a lot of the heavy lifting is going to be on you because we can't ignore this stuff anymore if we want a good future for the next generation. So stay active, stay in, stay in the game, you know, keep your head in the game, but also realize when it's time to check out for a little bit but come back because we need you (laughs) (laughs) Asha Barber you were so great thank you for talking to me today thank you I really enjoy this conversation I really I love listening to the pod like thank you it's such a different it's such a different like reality from my own in many ways but I still find it to be super duper fascinating (laughs) and like I might not always agree with Molly, but I definitely respect her. I respect what I respect what you guys do in general. And I had to put Molly first because I know that like people are like, Christina, I love you. Molly, you're cool too. So I was like, <laughs> let me put Molly first. <laughs> Get upset. But, but I really respect both of you. And I always enjoy seeing like a different perspective from my own. So yeah, it's really so fascinating helpful. and keep up the good work. Thank yeah. you so much. Where yeah, can yeah. Our, our audience find you and your work? Where can we find you on social? Okay, so I am on Twitter at E-T-O-I-L, two E's, the number eight at AOL. You'll see my full name on there. I didn't used to put it on there because I was afraid of backlash through work, but now I'm just like, well, I'm writing cats out of the bag. You can find my writing at ravishly.com. I also write for the establishment here and there. I'm trying to expand my repertoire and, you know, get in a few more places And if you want to follow me on Facebook, I post quite a few things public, all of my writing, and I do a daily Facebook live video, which you can participate in if you follow me, where we really break down the nuances of race. And then sometimes we just talk about shoes because you can't do this fight (laughs) 24-7 without having some fun. That's self-care. That's a form of self-care. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So just, you know, take care of yourself, but also realize that like the heavy lifting is on all of us right now. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much. I appreciate this conversation so much. You You were able to say things I always have in my head, but can't always express so eloquently. Um, So thank you so much for adding your perspective to our voice and, and on this platform. It means a lot to me. Thank you for having me and thank you for always having the conversation and please reach out whenever. Let's talk some more because it's going to be a long four years. 